get it straight. It tells a story of, do you remember Elliot? You guys, like, are we bringing it back to the movie? You remember Elliot, um, a lonely boy who befriends this really weird creature that looks like a newborn baby. Okay, can we just be all honest and say that most newborn babies look like E.T.? Okay, <laughs> maybe it was just mine, but... Um, Elliot and his siblings, they, they help it to try to return home uh, while attempted to keep it hidden from their mom. Remember when they hid it among all of the, um, the stuffed animals on the bed? Here's some interesting facts about the movie E.T. The concept for, for the film was based on Steven Spielberg's imaginary friend when he was, uh, when he was a child after his parents divorced in 1960. In 1980, Spielberg met, this, uh, met Matheson, and they developed this new story um, from this other, uh, from this other like, horror science fiction project that really just never took off. Um, unlike most motion pictures, it was shot in, this is interesting, in chronological order from scene to scene, because they wanted to keep the emotional performance of the characters, especially because it was the young cast. This is, this is interesting. Released on June 11th, 1982, by Universal Pictures, E.T. was a blockbuster that surpassed Star Wars Episode, um, episode 4 to become the highest-grossing film of all time. A couple years later, in 1993, it was... Uh, it was overtaken, and if you can name the film, 1993, you can yell it out. I'll buy you a cup of coffee this week. It was Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Um, and it remains still the 50th highest grossing film of all time, the movie E.T. Now, some of you are looking at me with a blank stare. So, I have done the research on this Google machine um, that also gives you another machine called the YouTube machine that you can learn anything, but you can also find the original trailer from E.T. And so here it is. Man, that was like beyond its time in sci-fi and special effects. Man, uh, I remember uh, like when his, when his finger was like lighting up. I was like, how are they doing that? E.T. phone home. The story is about this, this, this alien who finds himself here. He finds himself on earth. And, and, and these kids, they decide to, you know, quote, unquote, adopt him. They try to hide him from their mother because they want to take care of E.T. Well, E.T., really, he just has this desire to communicate and, and to contact home. And so he brings about all these different things in the house to try to communicate his way to, like, signal or, or to satellite home. Now, according to the Bible... Um, and we, we've got, if you need a Bible, throw your hand up. We're also on, you know, on version or Restore Church app. You can follow along on the screens. According to the Bible, you and I are similar to E.T. I don't know if you've made the connection, but uh, First Chronicles says it like this. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as, as were all of our forefathers. Our days on earth are like, shadow, are like a shadow without hope. 
First Peter says it like this in the New American Standard Bible. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, with, which wage war against the soul. The, the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, they reflect this idea that we as Christ pursuers and Christ followers in the, in the world we live in, we're aliens. We're strangers, and so if, if you find yourself like with Christian values and Christian beliefs and you find yourself uncomfortable in your workplace or in your relationships or maybe even at home, it's, it's probably for good reason because this is not where we, we call home. So like aliens and strangers and like E.T., there has to be, while we are here, a desire to... To contact home. A couple weeks ago, we started this series called, called Fighting Words. In, in our society and in our culture, we use words for a lot of things. But, but one of the, the, I don't know, the failures, one of the missing pieces within the church is that we forget to use them to contact home. It's, it's our direct hookup to God. It's our, our satellite link back home. Okay, I'll stop making analogies to E.T. now. Uh, Richard Foster says it like this in his book, Celebration of Discipline. He says, prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all of the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual, perpetual communion with the Father. And so we launched off a couple weeks ago. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. We're going to kind of revisit it for just a second this morning. But we talked about the model prayer and, and really what it looks like to, to ask God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done in Jacksonville as it is in heaven. To, to ask for our needs for provision and protection. Last week we talked about Elijah praying to God. And, and we really just talked about a how to pray. You remember, we, we got to talk to God. We got to be active in our relationship with God. And so this morning, I want to talk about three types of prayers that we find ourselves in. And if we can have them in our minds and, and use all three of them, we can continue to communicate back home and we can continue to, uh, to pursue our relationship with God. And so the first one that we're going to look at this morning is reactive prayer. Reactive prayer. Most of us, this is where we spend probably most of our time as Christ followers in reactive prayer. Philippians chapter 4, uh, it says it like this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the prerequisite in this verse to find um, the peace that passes all understanding? It's that in every situation, we're bringing our prayers and our petitions to God. And so the, the peace comes from knowing that there's someone or some, well, not something, someone who is God taking care of all of those things. Something happens in our lives when we react with prayer. Something happens in, in our world when we react with prayer. Something happens within our churches when we react with prayer. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's put in prison, and the church just goes to bat for him. Like, they are praying in a home. 
And Peter's not even there, and they're just praying for Peter's release. And the angel shows up, breaks Peter out of prison, brings him to the house, like kind of making it all happen because the church, uh, I just spit everywhere. Did y'all see that? That was disgusting. Sorry. Back on track. Church is a hard word to say over and over and over. Okay. Um, but the church went to bat for Peter. They were in reactive prayer. Uh, you know, you have a test at school, uh, the possibility of, of a promotion. Maybe someone in your family is sick or hurting, and so we react with prayer. We send a notification through the Restore app that the prayer team can be praying for us because of this event that happened. Reactive prayer. And as a church and as individuals, uh, we should learn to pray in, in every situation. Now, I'm not good at every situation. I'm really good at reactive prayer. I think we all are. Jesus demonstrated it for us, right? In uh, Matthew chapter 14, he's got 5,000 people in front of him. You, you know the story. In Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 19, he says, and, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them out to the people. Verse 20 says, they all ate until they were satisfied. The disciples went and picked up even extras. There were 5,000 people. Now, how is Jesus supposed to do this? It's somewhat of a reactive prayer. Jesus' reaction to the group is to pray. So as we preach this morning and as we kind of work through this sermon, let's talk about these different kinds of prayer but let's also get really practical. I think that's one thing that, uh, that, that I value when I hear someone preach or talking. And we try to do it here as often as we can to say things like, um, here are some things you can do today to put this into practice tomorrow. Here are some ways that you can live this out. And so um, how do we pray through, how, how do we do this reactive prayer? One thing I want to say before, before we get to this is, um, you know, I, I think we're pretty clear, and everyone can kind of see that our, our world's just like head, like, just on a straight path for hell, you know? Like, I mean, there's, we, we talk about every time there's a, a mass shooting, or, or every, we don't try to ignore it here. At, at Restore, we do not want these things to become callous or just to, to fall to the wayside because we're used to them. And so although we're used to reactive prayer, because it's, it's generally what happens when, when we hear about someone being sick or hurt or whatever, and we say, okay, well, we'll pray for you. We're going to pray. Look, let's not just say it. Let's, let's do it. And so if we expect our world to change, our community to change, I mean, every time we hear about a church being shot or a school being shot up, the, the, my mind always goes to, like, this has to stop. And so we, you know, then, then the gun control debate starts and, and people get angry about each other because they're on the left or the right or come take it from me. And they're like, all right, we will come take it from you. It's like, here's the thing. We're not going to be able to legislate morality we're not going to be able to stop this with, with taking guns or, or, or giving you more guns or whatever, and we're not going to take a side on that. 
you know how we're going to stop things like this? It's for the church to start getting involved. And, and our biggest tool is reactive prayer. And so he, here are a couple ways uh, for you t- today, w- when you leave here, for you to get involved in active prayer. Here's one thing you can do. It's called palms, uh, palms down, palms up. Have you heard of this? Last week we talked about acts as a way to pray, salt as a way to pray. If, if you didn't, weren't here to listen, uh, shame, shameful plug, but also shameless. Go back and listen to the podcast because uh, they're up and you can listen there. But here, palms down, palms up. So, so you begin praying with your palms down. And this is an indication of, of your desire to turn over any concern that you have to God. Whatever it is in your life right now that's bothering you or weighing you down, you are silently, with, with your hands, you are turning it over to God. And, and in that moment, once you're finished, then you turn your palms up. And then that's a symbol that you're ready to receive from the Lord. You ask whatever, uh, whatever you think you need or, or what, wherever you feel like God's leading you with your hands ready to receive. Now, it's hard to receive when our hands are full. So we start by, God, we're giving things back to you, putting them where they belong. Flip our palms over. God, we're ready to receive from you our needs, protection, and your will. And then you simply end in silence. And just sitting in God's presence and, and taking time to sit with the God who, who loves you and gave his son to die for you. So in that reactive prayer, we're giving God the reaction, we're receiving uh, whatever it is he wants to give, and then we're sitting still. Be still and know that he is God, the Bible says. There is only, I think, only one thing wrong with reactive prayer. The one thing that could be wrong with reactive prayer is if it's the only type of prayer that we engage in. And I would say that's probably the case for some Christians. The only type of prayer that we're praying is, is reactive. Um, I want to read a passage for you. It comes from Mark chapter 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He, he had just cursed a fig tree, um, and then he goes in the temple, starts flipping tables over. Um, he, he's angry because the people are, are taking advantage of the poor in the temple. It's supposed to be their safe place. And he gives the Pharisees really what, what they needed, like he gave them truth in the face. And then they're leaving, okay? And, and the disciples see the fig tree that Jesus cursed, and it's not producing any fruit And they ask him why. And this is his response in Mark chapter 11. He he says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Um, I think some of us also need to hear verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father may forgive your sins also. That's not what this sermon's about, but Jesus said it. It's in the red letters. This, this passage, man, it's, it's so good. But reactive prayer, if it's the only type of prayer, 
that we're doing, we're going to miss it. And, and here's why. It turns our focus on the wrong things. Uh, Aaron and I, we were sitting in the, la- uh, in the living room last night, and, um, and she said, oh, 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 there was something I read, and, and I want to tell you about it. And so she opened up her, her devotional that she's been reading, and she, re- she, you know, she, she uh, read to me what she'd, been, uh, what she'd been reading, but this part stood out to her. You steer where you stare. Uh, you steer where you stare. I get to spend, um, I get to spend a couple hours a week uh, with a bunch of high school students who are way smarter than I am. And if you think I'm exaggerating, I am not. That's kind of intimidating sometimes. But there's a couple of them. Like, it's intimidating when we're talking about, like, heavy things. But then when I hear them discussing how they got to get their driver's license, I'm like, heh, <laughs> Sucker. And, and one of the girls says, I have the hardest time turning left. And I was like, wow, okay. And one of the other girls gives her advice. She's like, you just got to look at where you're driving. I was like, well, that's revolutionary. You need to teach that to some adults. But you steer where you, where you stare. You will turn where you're going, and that's really with anything. In a kayak, if you're trying to kayak and you're looking behind you, you will get off course. If you're trying to drive a boat and you're looking away from where you're going, you will start to steer that way. See, all my analogies revolve around sports and fishing. You steer where you stare. And if reactive prayer is the only type of prayer life we have, then what are we really staring at? There's nothing wrong with reactive prayer. However, if it's the only kind of prayer that we're involved in, then the only thing we're really going to focus on is the mountain that Jesus talked about. And I feel like some of us right now are standing at the bottom of a mountain. And it's like, I can't climb it. And it's so huge, I can't get around it. And I can't get through it. And so we're just praying in reaction to whatever this mountain is in your life, and whether it's an uphill battle uh, of your marriage, or whether you feel like you got to go all the way around to get through the uh, addiction, or whether you got to feel like you got to dig your way through it to to restore some component of your life, you're just so focused on the mountain. And I feel like here's what we all need to do: we need to step back and not focus so much on the reactive prayer of of the mountain. We need to have faith in the one who created the mountain. And ask him to move it. And if all we're doing is focusing, if if we steer where we stare, we got to stop staring at the mountain and look at the mountain creator. Reactive prayer. The second one we're talking about this morning is proactive prayer. Um, Proactive prayer. Most millennials, I'm one so I can say this, we've kind of like, colored proactive out of our out of our dictionary we are very reactive people but preactive uh, proactive prayer it's really just another way of saying intentional being intentional about our prayer life look i'm going to read a, a just a couple of scriptures together they're not on the screen and it's going to be too quick for you to to uh, flip through in your bible so just just listen they're in the app um, and so if you've got the Restore Church app and you want to go look these up later, they're there. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus modeled proactive prayer for us. And more times in Jesus' life, he spends more time in proactive prayer than reactive prayer. 
And that would make sense, right? So here's how Jesus modeled it. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. But Jesus goes off to pray for 40 days. And he fasts in the desert. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Remember, being intentional. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent that night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him, and then he chose the twelve. Mark chapter 6, verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. You, you, you get it? Luke chapter 9, verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, or took Peter, John, and James with him, went up to a mountainside to pray. Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 22, he sends out the, 22, or the 72 disciples, and he prayed after they returned. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 27, Jesus gives praise to the Father. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. I mean, here's what's interesting. Like, we believe with all of our heart that Jesus is God himself. And it's like, if anyone has an excuse not to pray, it's Jesus. But Jesus, over and over and over again, gives us the example of, of having an intentional prayer life. Now, I've said this before, and I, will probably, I hope to always say this, that you know, we talk about a daily prayer life. Look, a daily prayer life is not enough for a Christ follower. We have to have a devoted prayer life, an intentional prayer life, one that we can't live without. Timothy Keller, he tells this story. He wrote a book called Prayer. And he tells of a time in his life where um, there was a lot going on, both in the world. He, he's a pastor of a megachurch in, in New York. Uh, he was talking about a lot going on in his life, in the world, and in his own life personally. Uh, and this is what he writes. At one point uh, during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her that we had never been able to muster up the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. And she used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it, like just not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget you would never miss. And then um, Kathy tells Tim this. She says, well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it. Because, we're all, uh, because of what we're all facing. I'm certainly, uh, she says, uh, we have to pray. We can't let it just slip into our minds. We have all got to be intentional about our prayer life. We need to connect with God. It's like that important. Uh, and she makes a great, uh, a great point. And so, 
Remember, we're trying to be practical about being intentional uh, in, in how to pray. Um, so the first way we're going to talk about our 21st century world, uh, there are apps that help you pray. It's simple prayer journals or opportunities for you to create a prayer list and then can send you daily reminders and notifications to pray for this, that. And then it, some of them will give you opportunities to type in how God, um, how, how God answered those prayers. Um, if you don't have room or storage on your app because you've taken too many pictures of your kids uh, while they're sitting on the couch watching TV, um, or if you're like mine, they just take your phone and go take pictures and videos of themselves showing each other their Pokemon cards. Not only am I raising the next generation of Christ followers, and I've got two church planters growing up in my house, I'm also raising two nerds. Okay, I'm very proud of those two nerds that take up storage on my phone. So if you are like me and you don't have storage on your phone, just set reminders on your on your phone all the time. Uh, Kevin, our church planting resident, the dude 45 times a day picks up his phone and he's like, Siri, remind me of this. I'm like, that's smart. And I started doing it. I tried to make fun of him for it, but I can't because I'm forgetting things all the time. And now Siri's my best friend. Use, use that stuff to your advantage. Use uh, the, your phone to your advantage. Here's another way. Also, my lovely wife, uh, she was reading about Psalm 23, and uh, Max Licato talks about the Puritan's prayer. And he sits with a bowl of water and a piece of bread. That's it. A bowl of water, a piece of bread, and this is his prayer. I get all of this and Jesus too. It's to say that, Jesus, you're enough, and I get this. And I get a bowl of water and some bread. Being intentional about the relationship we have. A couple weeks ago, we're not going to go into super in-depth about this. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the model prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Um, but here's one thing you can do about being intentional in your prayer life. Pray through the, um, pray through the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's simply it's simple like this. Uh, verse 9. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Praise our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, we pray for purpose, for your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for provision. Give us today our daily bread. Give us uh, forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Can't get the King James version of it out of me. Uh, verse 13, protection, pray for protection, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's, there are ways, and so while we're really used to uh, reactive prayer, the devoted Christ follower has got to be proactive in our prayer life. Uh, here's the third one, is persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. Um, we've got to be reactive, for sure. We've got to be proactive, but we also have to be persistent. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to, to remember this one, to be persistent. First Thessalonians, Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Prayer is not 
a one-and-done proposition. Prayer should be, like, all the time persistent. It should be continual communication with someone that you love. Um, I had a friend uh, when I was a youth minister. He was one of our youth leaders, and um, he would say that in the morning he would uh, he, he would say his prayer, I don't know whether he was getting ready or, or whatever, but he would never say amen until his final prayer at night. And he said for him it just felt like there was this open line of communication because he didn't end it. And so it was just this way to continue talking. It should be continuous, an ongoing thing, and persistent. And so, like... If we're going to have a desired relationship with God, it's got to be all the time. And so here are a couple ideas to have persistent prayer. Now, um, um, I am competitive. It's part of who I am. Uh, I think it's like a lot of who I am, not just a part of it. You and I have probably competed at some point in this room, and you didn't even know. Uh, we might have just been walking the same door, and I sped up just a little bit. Gotcha, slow walkers, get it, get it together. I'm like, I'm competitive, and so here's what, here's what I found is I I can try to use that for my advantage in a prayer life. Can you do it? Can you be consistent three days in a row? Can you be consistent five days in a row? Can you pray uh, this amount of times in, in seven days? And so, like, I have to use my competitive nature against myself. And y'all, I kick my butt all the time. I'm the man. Here's another idea. Write your prayers down. We talked about this a couple weeks, uh, journaling. Maybe that works for you. But here's the thing with journaling is it's, it, um, it like instills in us persistence because it's got to be longevity. Um, I have like 15 journals that have like two pages written in them because I, like I can't keep it, uh, the, the persistence, the discipline to do it. But, but if you can... Man, it's going to be so awesome for you in six months when you look back in your journal about how God worked that out in your life. Or when you look five years from now and you were seeing how you were praying for your kids and how God has really shown up. Or, or when you write down those prayers about your spouse and you see that finally they've given their life to Jesus, man, uh, it's so worth it. Um, pray through your phone. Pray through your text message list. So they've sent, you know, the, the people that you text the most are usually at the top. Pray for them. But then keep scrolling. Pray for the numbers that you don't save. Now here's your reminder. Go save that number because they're going to text you again. You know, you all know what I'm talking about. Go save that. And then pray for them. Pray through the Psalms. Pray through the Psalms. Just simply use the Psalm to read and use that as your prayer. Um, the Google machine is awesome for this. Type in, however you're feeling, psalm about joy, psalm about depressed, psalm about grief, psalm about anger. There is not an emotion that you can feel that is not uh, exemplified in the book of Psalms. So pray through the Psalms. Um, it will connect with you. Hey, I, I, I love preaching these sermons where uh, I was telling Michael last night. So uh, Michael, she's teaching in... Uh, all of our heroes at Restore are usually the, the village teachers. Okay, so she's teaching in the, um, in the preschool class right now, but she was also here last night helping us set up. And, and so kind of at the end, after it was all over, um, I just said, because I'm a verbal processor, I just say things out loud. 
uh, and people look at me and say, what did you say? It's like, just mind your business, okay? So I'm just, uh, I didn't say that to Michael. I was just kind of, uh, it was the end of the night, I was getting tired, and so I say out loud, all right, it's time to get your mind on your sermon. And then she says, well, do you want to talk about it? And I was like, uh, oh, I didn't realize that, that you heard me uh, to talk about it. Um, but, but here's, uh, we, we just got talking, and I said, man, tomorrow's sermon's kind of tricky for me. Because, like, there's no way that I can over-communicate the need for a prayer. And it's like, have you ever tried to get someone to do something that, like, you knew was important, but they just are kind of like, eh, I'll do it. It's like me with the exercise, and some of y'all are like, hey, I got to pass to the gym. Do you want to come hang out? And I'm like, no. But you're like, but it'd be so good for you. And it's like, I, I know. I believe you. Um, I just... I'll just, you know, you tell me what happens at the gym. You tell me, you just show me what happens when you're persistent at the gym. And, and then I'll tell you how great you look, um, and we can contribute that way. There's this hard part for me about prayer, about trying to convince you, because I can't. I, I, I can't, like, stand up here and talk long enough about how monumental a persistent, a proactive prayer life is. I can't tell you like, about how your marriage will flip upside down when, when you start to pray for your spouse, even though they may not be praying for you. I can't, I, like, I can't tell you about how much you will change as a person when you start praying that God will allow you to forgive someone. You just got to do it. And so here's my competitive challenge to you. Do it. Don't listen to the radio when you drive to work. Pray out loud. Um, today, when you get home, don't, don't put Spotify in your ears. Or, or when you go to run or, or when you go to the gym, don't put Spotify in your ears. Open up the Bible app and let it read to you. Uh, when, you when you go home tonight, instead of vegging on Netflix... Just keep the TV off and spend 10 minutes in prayer. Can you do it for a week? For those of you who do it every day, can you do it more, longer? F find something to challenge you with prayer. And then just watch. Now, we are very careful here that the gospel is not, uh, it's not a, like an IRA account where you put money in and it's going to like increase like that's not how it is you don't put in requests and then all of a sudden but here's what the bible tells us that if we pray and we believe that mountains will move if we trust the mountain mover more than we stare at the mountain um look there's a lot of i hope helpful tips about prayer through this series next week we're going to finish this series by talking about fasting i'm gonna go ahead and tell you we're going to challenge our church Y'all, uh, that at the beginning of the year, we're going to do a 21-day fast. Now, don't freak out. Uh, that's going to mean something different to every person. Um, we're gonna, we are going to fast from food, um, and, but that's going to look different. It might be one meal. It might be uh, breakfast and lunch. It might be from sun up to sundown. but we're going to challenge you that. So go ahead and start wrapping your mind around what that might look like. And next week, we're going to talk about fasting. 
There's no equation that I can give you to increase your prayer life other than just to do it. We tried to give some helpful tips throughout this whole series and even today about trying to have reactive prayer today, proactive prayer, and persistent prayer. As I was trying to think about wrapping up this series, um, I, I was trying to think of like a, a good, like you know, every preacher wants to end the sermon with like, the music behind you and everyone weeping and and like everyone falling on their knees in prayer and that usually happens if you're new here that happens every week it's, I don't know why it's not happening today it's, people aren't listening I don't know but like we all want that and so I was trying to find it and I just couldn't I couldn't but here's here's what I found um What's the most uncomfortable that you've ever been? Some of you are just socially awkward. Um, and you're, like, uncomfortable all the time. I'm never uncomfortable. Uh, I'm, I'm, like, never socially awkward. Well, maybe I am, but I just don't know. <laughs> I've just been there so many times that it, it just comes to me naturally, I guess, to be awkward. But when, when have you been the most uncomfortable? Um, sometimes I play scenes over and over in my head. I, I don't know if you do the same. Uh, I, I play scenes that have already happened. Um, like, I cannot forget an uncomfortable handshake. You know what I'm talking about? You go to do a handshake, they go in for a hug, and then your hand is just squished in between the two of you. Or, like, you go to, you go to do a handshake, and they're trying to dap you up, and then it's just like they just punched your hand. I, I can't. I cannot get the feelings on my hands. I can't get the thought of like an uncomfortable handshake out of my head. I also, though, play scenes over and over and over about future scenes that could happen. And so this summer, Aaron and I got to go on a cruise called the Jesus Freak Cruise. Uh, if you're not uh, familiar with Jesus Freak, it's an album by DC Talk that they released in the 90s, and it was gold. Um, and uh, the majority of it got paid for by a ministry out of, uh, uh, out of Winston-Salem. And so, man, we were really blessed to be able to go on this cruise. And it had some of our favorite 90s Christian band. It had some new uh, Christian artists there. And there was a concert every night. It was pretty cool. But the person that I looked forward to hearing the most was the Christian comedian John Christ. Now, I had the scene in my head. I played it over and over. And the scene would go, I mean, this dude is and, and was and is hilarious. And I had the scene over and over in my head, and this is how it would go. We'd just run into each other, and then naturally I would make him laugh until he started crying. And then he would say, wow, you're really funny. You guys know I already think I'm funny, but he would just affirm that for me. And, and I, we would laugh together, and like, then we would just like frolic around the cruise ship together, and he would be telling everyone about how funny I am. Then he'd invite me to be part of his show during the cruise, and then I would have the whole cruise laughing along with John Christ. And then he, after it would be over, he would say, hey, dude, you should go on tour with me. And then I would shut him down because of Restore Church. And then I would say, actually, you should just come be a part of Restore Church. And he would say, yes. But in reality, I never thought about what it would be like to meet him. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but you eat so much you don't walk up steps. So you take the elevator. And everyone takes the elevator. And, and it, you go up and down the elevator like, 
40 times in a day, <laughs> like 40 times in the whole thing, right? And so um, it just opens and closes. People you've seen, people you don't see, hey, we saw you in the parking lot, y'all having fun, yeah, having a great time, whatever, whatever. And it's like Thursday. It's, it's like the day before we're getting off. And Aaron and I are like going to go up on the top and just kind of watch the stars because, you know, romantic and stuff. And, and the doors open and John Christ is standing in the back. Here's my chance. Here it is. Now, there's a security team between him and I and then his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And, and I walk in and I say, are we going up? And he says, on a Tuesday, because that's a song. I had a thousand jokes that were hilarious that would play this, that would make this scene really happen. I had it all in my head. I was ready to go. My blood, my like body temperature rose. My blood, like uh, my heart rate started flying. And all I could say was, yep, that's a song. <laughs> my whole comedy career gone just like that. I'm sure he's probably telling jokes about me right now about that. I was so uncomfortable in that elevator. I don't know if you've seen the recent news about John Chris. I don't get crushed by celebrity deaths. I don't get crushed by celebrities cheating on their spouse or whatever. Uh, last week I read an article, or two weeks ago I read an article about how John Chris, this Christian comedian whose main phrase is, um, uh, guard your heart had let his guard down this guy that I was looking forward to meeting so much uh, had uh, had sexual immorality outside of his marriage he had taken advantage of women for years and years and years and he just he just let me down this, this guy that we had never even really had a relationship with matter of fact I, I couldn't even speak to him just let me down and why? Because he's, he's just a person. And he, you can't put that amount of trust like, in, into people. And I got to thinking, like, why was I so uncomfortable in that elevator? It's because I don't know him. I, I've never talked to him before in my life. And, it, and it, here's... Here's why I think God put me, that stupid story in my head. It's because I feel like there's going to be some of us that we're going to step into heaven so excited that we're going to see God and not know what to say. We're going to be so incredibly uncomfortable. Why? Because we don't know him. We, we don't talk to him here. No, no, no. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be the opposite. There's going to be a day, man, your last breath here is going to be your first breath in front of God. And you're not going to be uncomfortable. No, no. Matter of fact, you've played this scene over and over in your head of what it's going to be like when, when you see your best friend, your, your hero, your, your God, your creator, your, your savior, your messiah, your you're everything. When you see him, it's not even going to be a hesitation because you're just going to sprint to him. Get as close as you can to him. 
You're going you're gonna to start a worship song. You, like, you're going to be the one leading. Because, guys, I, I've, I've never like, been this close to God before, but I've anticipated it every day with, with my prayer life. And, and I long to hear from God, and I long to be in his presence, and, and I long to just see him and seek him and, and read his word and, and, and be there with him. He was with me in my grief. He was with me in my depression. He was with me through my divorce and through the death of my child. He was, he was there for me in cancer. He, he was there for me when, when we kicked cancer's tail. He was there for me when we celebrated coming out of the addiction. He was there for me when we finally had the child we'd been praying for. And so when you, I know this, when you walk into heaven, you will not be uncomfortable. Oh, it's going to be a celebration. Because the one that you spend so much time with, that you sacrifice for, he'll be there. Can we pray together? Can we do our palms down? God, we want to hand you everything. God, the, the, the weight of, of life that are beyond these walls, the the bills that have to be paid, the, but the paychecks are too little. The conversations that, that need to be had, but our courage just isn't there. The challenges that need to be faced, we're handing them to you. And God, we believe even with the faith of the mustard seed, that you can throw this mountain into the, into the sea. And so, God, we, we do not want to steer toward the mountain. We want to steer to the mountain creator. So let's put our hands up. God, will you give us what we need? protection, provision, forgiveness. God, will you give us the things that we're not even asking for? God, will you, will you bless us? God, will you give us a heart for people? God, will you give us a, a, a way to see people the way that you do? God, will you give us a way out, a light at the end of the tunnel? Really, God, what we're going to ask is just more of you. We want the Puritan's prayer to be ours. God, water and bread and Jesus too. Can we just sit in silence for a moment? One day, one day we won't be able to sit in silence anymore. The only thing we'll be able to do is, pray, is scream, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.